Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. My podcasts often deal with distressing situations which are not suitable for children and some adults for that matter. Some of what I discuss may trigger uncomfortable emotions. If that does occur please reach out to Lifeline, Beyond Blue or any other support service or person you feel comfortable with. Please keep in mind that there's always two sides, sometimes more, to every story. My guests provide their recollection of an event or incident, sharing their thoughts and their emotions, but it's theirs. Not everybody will agree with them. I never want to tell any guest what to say or what not to say. So there will always be others that see it differently, and I understand that. Hello, I'm Narelle Fraser. I was a cop with Victoria Police for 27 years, 15 of those as a detective, having dealt with all types of crime, from a stolen bicycle to a stolen life. I witnessed the effect crime has on those involved and became one of those victims myself in 2012 when I was diagnosed with PTSD. However, out of adversity comes other opportunities like this, my own podcast. I'm still pinching myself. Thanks for listening and coming with me as we explore the human side and impact of crime. You're grasping at straws to try and get some help and get some advice that might help. What's going on? Why am I like this? Well, last week, John uh, was telling us about his time as an officer. And yes, uh, he's also a gentleman with Victoria Police. John continues today in the last half of his podcast, sharing some of his innermost fears and thoughts. So enjoy it and thanks again. Um, so, John, you've clearly had a, a very, very uh, decorated career with, uh, you know, where you've, you've worked, but I wanted to go now to you said when um, you were sort of shuffled out um, to the, the regions and you weren't really enjoying it. So I'm just wondering if you could share with us um, a particular time or incident which made you think that maybe something wasn't c- quite right. Yeah. Um, 
Look, the, the first incident that I can think about or the, the first recollection that comes to mind is that, and I think I was still in the crime department at this stage, and I remember having to go, like, as, a, as an officer. So it was in the late 90s. And um, I'd, I'd gone across, I was drive, had to go across the western suburbs and I was driving across the Westgate Bridge. And I had um, what's I was later told was a panic attack. I didn't know what was happening. I'm driving over the Westgate Bridge. Traffic was normal. I, I can't remember what the weather conditions were, but I had this feeling of tenseness in my gut and um, dryness in the throat, and I, I felt as though the traffic in the lanes beside me were hemming me in. Um, I, I, I had a compulsion to drive really slowly um, to, and, and I was sweating. And when I got to the other side of the bridge, I, I pulled into, uh, down, into Williamstown Road and just stopped on the side of the road. And I thought, what? What? What was that? I had never experienced that before. I, I said, God Almighty! But it, I, I did what I had to do on the other side of the bridge, and then to come back to the office, I wouldn't go across the Westgate Bridge. I actually drove, I drove the other way around the long way uh, to get back to the office. Um, and um, but that was that was the first of many, and uh, that I had. Um, and ironically, most of them came um, after I left policing. Really? <laughs> I, yeah, I, I would. Uh, that's uh, they were probably the the indicator that maybe leaving policing wasn't the cure for me because yeah. I still, uh, I, yeah, I, I, I drive my good wife to distraction. We, I remember one day driving around the uh, Western Ring Road, having those same feelings and. Uh, I just thought, and I'm driving slower and slower, and I, my throat's dry, and I'm just feeling completely hemmed in. It was like, it, it, like something I, it's just so difficult to explain. And I was had to drive slower and slower. I felt as though I didn't have control of the steering wheel. And of course, you're on the Western Ring Road. There's no, there, there were no, there's nowhere to pull over to let Jan drive, or for me to just compose myself. So, on one of those occasions. Um, um, I yeah, Jan said, and no, yeah, I mean, I wasn't sleeping, and all that. And she said, you're going to have to, uh, but be like, and fair enough, I hadn't slept for the last two years. I was in the police force, <laughs> or at least the last two years, I was in the police force. Uh, yeah, I had this ongoing sleeping thing, so, uh, and it, it wasn't so much that I was having nightmare flashbacks, I just couldn't sleep. There were so many things going on in my head and the what-ifs and the wife. Anyway, look, so my wife said, you're going to have to seek some help. And, um, and uh, I mean, I, didn't, I hadn't seen a doctor or a counsellor for years and years since I left, since I left policing because, as I said, I had the cure, leave, leave the job. <laughs> but uh, that wasn't the cure. So, yeah, look, I, I then sought some help and assistance and... Um, uh, uh, and um, it, but that that going over the Westgate Bridge that was the first indicator. I had a there were a couple of other instances um, after I got promoted to uh, superintendent, and 
you know, which you and I have joked about as both being able to talk underwater with a mouthful of alleys. And I used to be able to go, and I recall giving numerous presentations out at senior management conferences in relation to um, mm-hmm. uh, legislative change and process change and this and that and the other thing. And it, I'd almost do it without much preparation because I knew the stuff. It was, it was simple and easy. And so, and I, so it, it, it just getting up there and standing before the group and speaking wasn't an issue. And I, re- I remember with one of my fellow superintendents at ESD, I went to, um, I went went to a gathering and um, off the cuff, my fellows, so a question was asked by the group we were there to um, interact with. Um, a question was asked, and it was it related to one of the projects that I was that I was involved in. And um, so my fellow superintendent um, threw to me, and he said, "Oh, well, John Ashby here. He's actually managing that project. And he'll tell you all about it." Well, I got the rabbit in the headlights, and I, I couldn't couldn't get the words out. And there's you know there's a room of you know forty or fifty people, and. Uh, they're looking to they're looking to be um, they're looking to be uh, educated and uh, enlightened by these two superintendents. And here I am, stuttering, stammering, and coughing, and I couldn't get the words out. And I was highly embarrassed. Anyway, we're on the way walking back to the office, and uh, and um, um, my fellow superintendent said to me, "Oh, are you okay?" I said, "Yeah, I stuffed that up." He said, "Oh, I've seen you do better," <laughs> and and that was. Um, that was all that was said. No, nothing else came about that at all. Um, but that was another instance whereby, um, whereby, uh, yeah, that, that was a sign that things weren't quite right. Mm. I was just going to ask you then. So, uh, if there were any other signs that you know you didn't realise at the time, but looking back, but you've spoken there about um, the fact that, and you just brushed that off. The fact that you didn't sleep for two years. And to think that you've got such a responsible job, it's frightening, isn't it, really? And, and did anybody, apart from that um, uh, fellow superintendent that said, well, you know, I've seen you do better, did anybody ever say anything to you about, I think, I don't know, what about taking some time off or was it ever discussed? No, no. I look, um, no, I, um, I remember having, I had a brief amount of time off when I was still in the crime department. I think it was only a couple of weeks, and I, I I used that to get my head together and shake the cobwebs clear and change, get a different perspective rather yep. than a oh, what was me detective and Jesus, you know, whatever it might be. So it was a, a pretty brief period, and then of course, um, I think at that stage I then got involved in the uh, in the setting up of the sex crime squad. Um, which was I, I, you know, I loved that sort of thing as a as as, a, as an officer to to get involved in setting those sorts of things up, um, doing doing the groundwork and you know recruit. I mean, one of the great things about working in the homicide squad is that ninety nine percent of the people you work with were competent, keen, uh, wanted to do the job, and that was one of the blessings about sex crimes is that. Everyone was there because they wanted to be there, and they all, if they they wanted to be there, um, they'd proven themselves in the fields that they were working in. They were competent, motivated. Gee, I mean, you know, management's pretty easy when you're working with people like that. 
So, so, and I, yeah, and look to amalgamate the, the, uh, the policies and practices within the two squads into one. I mean, it was a doddle. It really was a doddle because of the people, and and and, and, uh, and so I really enjoyed that. So, I think that came sort of shortly after the little bit of sick leave I, I had. Nobody really noticed. No one even no one even asked me was wrong with me. I just had okay. the medical condition. Yes, <laughs> yes. So when I came back to work, yeah. uh, no one said to me, oh, are you okay? Or said, blah, 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 nothing like that at all. Um, but that was a sign of the times. I mm, mean, gee, was. that was just the way it was. But, but yeah, so then I went to um, having been, you know, the last job I did in the crime department was really to set up the sex crime squad, did a couple, couple of stints of upgrading um, as acting super superintendent and then um, and then went to uh, went to the promotions board to find out I was going to ESD <laughs> again <laughs> so so yeah look um, uh, and then you know uh, I, I was motivated motivated for most of the time at ESD because of the, the newness and the, of the job I was doing and the great I was grateful that I wasn't in an investigations role um, you know we did a lot of good work there the, the, the vision that I was in and some of the people I worked with, I was able to recruit a lot of really really good um, senior sergeants sergeants and officers to to help with the running of the division which was which was just just terrific but you know um, there were also some there were also some challenges, or real challenges, in working in those areas, and um, and some of them were internal. <laughs> I won't. I prefer not to go into any of that, but some of them were internal. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, I, uh, I, yeah, so I won't go into it other than to say that the first time I ever got in today's term it'd be called bullied, but the first time I ever got bullied in the job was I was a 50-year-old superintendent. <laughs> so, but I just took that as part of the course and people blowing off steam and all that sort of stuff. But it, it has an effect and it just, you know, when I was, I was seeking, so I had, was having some counselling once and I couldn't quite get my head around this burnout thing that I was being told I, that I had. And, um, and, uh, and, uh, one of the people I was talking to, I can't remember whether it was a medico or, or a counsellor, and I said, well, there's all this stuff that you, you through your life, you put in, you put into a, a spot, you store it. It's like being at home and you've got a junk cupboard or a junk room and everything goes into that cupboard. And then one day you open it up and it all falls out. Yeah. And, and that struck a chord for me. I thought, yeah, that's, that's really logical. I've always been uh, sort of visual, visual examples have been, <laughs> have always been good for me. So, yeah, I, I, I that, and that was, that's, so that slowly built up at ESD. And, um, um, I remember, I remember getting, and this is, uh, I, I remember getting an award, um, in 2002, um, and I was, I was, I was awarded an Australian Police Medal. And one of the, one of the things you had to do with that was to go and have chief, have morning tea with the chief commissioner, one on one. And uh, I was having received this award, which was presented to you by the governor, governor, government house. And it's, it was, you know, I, mean, I was absolutely knocked out to be to have been nominated. Yeah, little yeah. Anyway, uh, I go into my designated um, morning tea appointment with the chief and uh, I came out of there completely demotivated 
unfortunately, all she wanted to do was uh, ask me about how long I, how, how long did I think I had before I retired. <gasps> <laughs> Cop that. Cop that, yeah. So I thought, oh, okay. And then about two months later or not very not very long after that, I find myself, found myself out at, um, out at Region 4 in, uh, in you know, the, the sort of uh, the, the final position before um, circumstances took over that I, and I decided to retire. 55. So, John, did, um, did the shame and stigma of, my God, I could have a, you know, a mental health issue, did that stop you from seeking help? Yeah, there, look, there was a lot. There, that was certainly a big part of it. I mean, um, I, mean I, I, I did, there were a couple of people that I was, that, uh, that I was close to mm. and um, I, 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 and I raised. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. A lot can happen in three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare Tri-Term Medical Plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage that lasts nearly three years in some states. Learn more at uh1.com. If you thought the only way to get a more defined jawline with natural-looking results was through surgery, think again. Juvederm Volux XC is a non-surgical injectable gel filler that improves moderate to severe loss of jawline definition and can help you achieve natural-looking results with little downtime. Even better, this improves definition lasts up to one year with optimal treatment. No maintenance required. Improve jawline definition for a smooth, sculpted look with Juvederm Volux XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. It's the issue with them. It's sort of like you're trying to, you're grasping at straws to try and get some help and get some advice that might help. What's going on? Why am why am I like this? Why am I, you know, why haven't I, motivation's not, you know. Anyway, so I remember raising these issues uh, with, with a, uh, a mate of mine, a fellow who was then a mate, and uh, he said, uh, oh, you're just trying, oh, you're getting ready for a board. You're just trying it on. Um, 
Um, Can you explain to the listeners what he meant by that? I that I was going to I was going to try and get boarded out medically unfit because there were uh, there were significant advantages in being in retiring um, medically unfit as opposed to just retiring. Um, and uh, and look, um, I. I said, no, I, I just want to know what's going on with me. Ah, oh, you'll be right. You mm. know, she'll be right, mate. The old oh, she'll yeah. be right, mate. Have, yep. have enough beer, you'll be right. Yep. You know, pull yourself together and not to death sort of thing. Yeah. <laughs> and, and, uh, and, and, yeah, look, and when prior to retiring from policing, I, 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 was, I went on sick leave after I walked out that day from the Knox office, superintendent's office, and I went to my doctor and I had several months off on sick leave. Now, I didn't, I didn't put in a work cover claim because I, there was a stigma for me about Absolutely, that. Absolutely, yeah. I, 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 I couldn't do it. I thought about it every day. My brother was an assistant commissioner. My two daughters are in the police force, and I didn't want to leave that perceived legacy. And I just didn't want to go down that track. Now, um, um, my partner at the time said to me, you can't make this decision. Your head's not in the right place to make this decision. And notwithstanding that sage advice, I, I didn't follow that, but she was 100% correct. She was 100 I wasn't in the right headspace to make that decision. And, uh, but nevertheless, uh, I did make the decision and I, and I ran with it. Um, but, you know, and as I said, uh, several months after... Retiring, um, oh, I'm still not sleeping. I'm still having police dreams, as I call them. By the way, I haven't had one for about three weeks. I'm really happy about that. <laughs> not that I have horror ones. I have, I have, I find myself re-implanted into the job. It's in some at some level, usually in some sort of consultancy level, yeah, and yeah. Um, and all these people that used to be young are now old. So. <laughs> Anyway. Yeah, and so you've obviously um, got to the point now where how long has it taken or did it take for you to feel like sort of almost normal again? Look, I feel, I feel amazingly well most of the time. I still have periods where um, the cloud will come over, I'll, I'll, I can feel it approaching, and I go a bit quiet. Jan, my ever-suffering uh, and supportive wife, uh, knows the signs now. She'd never seen anything like it before. We got together. We've been together about 12 years, and married about seven and a half, and she'd never seen anything like it before. She um, saw the calm, cool, collected, um, you know, confident John Ashby and then one day I had a blow up over something and um, she was staggered but you know she's a, she's a stayer and uh, a supporter and um, she's been an enormous assistance to me and, uh, and so you know I, uh, I started I was I remember reading it you, you'd know of Belinda Neal I do yep yeah well, I was reading her book, Under Siege, and I was going through this stage where I was reading everything I could to try and 
still figure out. This is post-policing. This is post-policing. Uh, I was still trying to figure out why. Why am I like this? And I was reading Belinda Neal's book and uh, a lot of the things, and she's obviously, uh, you know, PTSD, and I, I might say I've never been diagnosed with PTSD. I've couple other things I've been diagnosed with. Um, yeah. Um, but, yeah. Dodged a bullet there, trust me. Well, yeah, look, um, and everything she spoke about, a lot of the things she spoke about in, in her book in relation to her career and what she did, shit, I've done that. Um, I've been there. I know what that's like. And I started to think, um, wow, gee, let's see, there's a lot of parallels here. So I did some more reading in relation to uh, stress, anxiety, depression, PTSD, and all that sort of stuff. And there are a lot of a lot of similarities to how I, to my experiences and how I was feeling, and and, and those panic attacks and the, the uncertainties and the the, the the you know the lack of certainty about how you were travelling. Um, I I contacted the retired police association and uh, and in particular peer support. Um, program and um, I ended up um, with a uh, a peer support guy who I work with. Oh yeah. And um, and uh, you know he living in Sydney and uh, and been out of the job forever. Um, but he'd done all the courses and he'd experienced a lot of these things himself and uh, both in his police and post-police career and uh, he was terrific and he um, recommended that I read a book called by Kevin Gilmartin. Gilmartin. Oh, is that the most amazing book ever? It, it is, but, you know, I was – look, and I really enjoyed it and I've actually read it twice, but I remember the first time I read it I was waiting for that final chapter when I was gonna. I was gonna lift, lift. The, I was gonna have the. That, that's where the cure is, isn't it? The last chapter. That's where it's gonna. This is what you've nope. got to do. No, it's not. And look, no. I suppose what I learned is that if there's no cure, but it's from within that your improvement and and your life changes. Mm. Um, and I remember, I remember actually having read the book. Um, they brought Kevin Bill Martin out, and I went to one of his presentations at uh, Shepparton. And I'm sitting there, and there's hundreds of other police, many of some still serving, some not. Many of them I, I knew, and they've all got their own little stories and and their own. And I was thinking, God, that was a that was a that was terrific. That was really cathartic that I was able to see all those other people. Because you know what it's like. You think you're the only one going through all this. Yeah, you do. So anyway, during his presentation, he said, uh, anyone who does any significant time in policing, and significant can be from five years onwards, is going to have some damage. Absolutely. Yep. So he said he said that um, if you join the police force. Uh, join a police service and you're 18 or 19 years of age, well, hello, that rang a bell, and your life expectancy is is sort of uh, 85, um, 
if you do that significant period, if you're doing, you know, up around 25 years, because that's the American retirement thing, I suppose, and, but he said, if you're doing it 25 years and in some cases plus, he said, your life, life expectancy is somewhere around, you know, mid-60s and you will have had three marriages and... <laughs> Yeah. Well, hello, there were a couple of parallels there for me as well. Hey, John, (laughs) I think we'd better organise a dinner very soon. (laughs) (laughs) After lockdown, Narelle, after lockdown. <laughs> um, actually, for, for our listeners, that is an incredible book, and I think most police that are listening will um, know about it. But I, I can't think of the exact title, but it's I've called been... Emotional Survival for Law Enforcement. That's it. Yeah. And the title is A Guide for Officers and Their Families. Yeah. And it's an excellent read, and I actually gave copies to each of my daughters. Yeah, and I think um, it. It explains a lot about our mindset from the minute we go to the academy. It is, um, yeah, yeah, I look, find it's, it so powerful, yeah, so yeah, powerful. It, it was terrific, you know, when you, you know, that siege mentality that you've got and you've got to have that survival mode that you go into. Mm, mm. You know, you've got to see, you've got to see it, um, uh, you've got to see a, a, a danger in everything you do. Because if you don't, if you just waltz into a set of circumstances and you're expecting it all to be onky dory, chances are you're not going to survive. No, and neither is the the public that That's you're right. trying yeah. to keep safe. So, so you know, and, and 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 a lot many members of the public don't understand that when you go as a as a response a responding police member to any set of circumstances. You can't go there with a big smile on your face and uh, saying everything will be all right and pat them on the shoulders because you don't know who they are, you don't know who's behind the door, you don't know who's in, you know, you just don't know. So you've got to be, you've got to be hyper vigilant to those sorts of, and then work down from there. Once you realise, uh, once you assess that you know the dangers are minimal or, or, or negated totally. And and that's one thing uh, that the book talks a lot about is hypervigilance, yeah. which I had terribly. I think all police do, but you can't turn off hypervigilance. And you get to the point where you might go shopping and you're looking at the way everybody, you know, oh that person over there's dressed a bit unusually. Like, what's he what's he looking like that for when it's forty degrees outside and he's got on an overcoat? Or what's in the back of their backpack? Or like you just you're always thinking and no wonder you couldn't buddy sleep really like- no, I, I, I used to joke i used to joke it was a sick joke but um, um one of the reasons i used to say one of the reasons we had foxtel was because i'm insomniac and i needed something to watch in the middle of the night <laughs> <laughs> or maybe listen to my podcast that's my, that might send somebody to sleep hey listen i think we better um uh wind it up but let's no just, let's just finish with if somebody is driving somewhere right now, uh, the same sort of situation that you've experienced on the Westgate uh, Bridge or out on that freeway, um, what would your advice to them be? You've just you've you've got to realise that you you need help. It's a sign that you need some assistance and guidance, and it doesn't mean that you're going to be certified as insane or anything like that. It's it's you know there are remedies and 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 uh, to these sorts of things that are as simple in some cases as 
uh, you know, blowing your nose or, or having a, a pill for your headache, um, to speak and then and hopefully seeking some assistance will mean medical assistance, which may or may not mean some medication. It may or may not, it, it, but it most certainly should entail some um, or result in some, some counselling with people who know what they're talking about and who have a breadth of experience in, uh, in in these sorts of issues and you do need to make sure that if your, your counsellor has uh, a wide and deep experience in relation to stress-related issues and uh, and, um, uh, and and hopefully in, in relation to if you're if you if there's emergency services worker emergency services um, um, experience in relation to uh, the mental approach uh, or the mental um, mm. fragilities that sometimes we face. Mm. I think that's very good advice, John. Um, I just wanted, I'll probably throw you a bit here, but I apologise and I can help you through if I need to, but I read a very, very, very funny post of yours on uh, Facebook the other morning and it was about a story where a constable rang D24 to give his position for something that had happened. <laughs> Would you, can you share that with us? And I think we'll leave it at that. I just loved it. <laughs> yeah, it was, uh, I was uh, stationed at South Melbourne in the first uh, formative years in my job, uh, in the job, and um, we had uh, um, a uh, a slow-talking country member, a member who had been brought up in the country. Careful, was, careful there, John. He was careful. a terrific bloke. He was a <laughs> terrific bloke, and he was uh, he was asked to give his location by the D24 operator, and he said, "I'm at the corner of Lorimer Street and No Through Road." <laughs> I think we might leave it at that, John. <laughs> Thank you so much. <laughs> that just says it all. Hey, thanks. It's been terrific. Uh, we'll yeah, talk soon. Speaking with you, I'm happy that we've reconnected and we might do that lunch one day if I'm passing through your way. I reckon we might, John. All right, and thank you so much. All right, right. bye. Ta-da. See you. Hey, it's Narelle here again. Thanks for listening and I hope you enjoy the podcasts as much as we enjoy putting them together. But to make sure you never miss an episode of Narelle Fraser Interviews, hit subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and don't forget to leave a rating and even a review and please share it with all your friends too. And again, thanks for joining us. We have got some amazing stories to tell. So thanks again. See ya. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. 
Let's get this dinner party started.